Just as you got comfortable, please stand for the reading of God's word. <laughs> we'll read from Jude 1, verse 17 to 23. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. You may be seated. A uh, few years ago, I was in Australia, and uh, I was there with a customer. We went to the outback, and I discovered, or I knew about them already, kangaroos. So, big kangaroos, about that size, and a little bit later, I saw wallabies. They're, they look like a kangaroo, but they're about that size. And uh, a little bit later, I found that there's also wallaroos, they're somewhere in between. And I even saw a kangaroo rat, which is basically a kangaroo, but it's only about that high. <laughs> And um, as I was thinking about that, I think I was on my way home, and even weeks after, I started thinking about how is it that just in Australia you have these animals, and that there are different sizes. And uh, I started thinking about evolution, and I started having doubts about, uh, it's not that I didn't believe in God, I just started doubting my thoughts. And uh, it took me weeks of prayer and reading the Bible to get rid of those doubts. The reason that I'm telling you this is because we're gonna talk about doubt today. Uh, in specific, we're gonna look at Jude, verse 22 and 23, which says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. My name is uh, Martin van Rutenberg. I took the uh, preaching lab a few years ago it was in the beginning of 2020 that I preached in front of a few people. The second time that I had to do it was on Zoom because we couldn't come together anymore. But you know, here I am in front of you, which is a great privilege. So this passage is being written by Jude, which is believed to be Jesus' brother. And we read earlier on in the New Testament that even Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him. And yet we have Jude writing here. So Jude would have... Um, uh, known or some of the mercy that Jesus gave even him. So there's comfort in that to know that there may be people in your lives that don't believe in Jesus and yet there is grace for them. Jude is talking to believers in the church. It says right in the beginning of the chapter to those who were called beloved in God, the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. But there are some issues with the people that he is writing to. There's people that have come into the church that have been sowing doubt and division. And um, initially I think that uh, when I read something like that, it must be people from the outside that uh, are not believers, that are not Christians, uh, that are trying to drive Christianity apart. But could it be that there's even people inside of the church that do confess to be Christians but have different motives, maybe focused on legalism or whatever it might be, uh, that could be causing divisions inside of the church and casting doubt on what we might believe. So even though Jude is talking to believers here, 
if you're not a believer, and you're just checking this out, pay attention, because that grace is also available for you. We'll look at three different points, perseverance, when we doubt, and having mercy. So Judah's warning what's gonna happen in the end of the days, that there's gonna be scoffers. It's the time that we're living right now, I believe, the end of the days. And uh, he's talking to uh, the believers, um, and he's seen the things that are happening inside of the church. As Christians, I think we will all experience hardships. And the Bible promises it. The hardships might be relationships with loved ones or people very close to us that don't walk with Jesus. Maybe it's our own temptations. Uh, maybe, maybe it's the times of doubt that we have. Maybe it's because God doesn't answer our prayers. We pray for something and God doesn't come through for you. And then we forget that when we read our Bibles, that Joseph sat in prison and he waited for 13 years before God answered him. And Abraham waited for 24 years. And Moses waited for 40 years. So these long periods of time, doubt can creep in. Doubt meaning a, refers to a wavering, a hesitancy, an uncertainty, a general lack of confidence. It can be many things. I like marketing, it's something that I spend a fair amount of time on during the week, it's because I like human behavior. Um, I like to see people's reactions when we do a price change, or release a new product. And it's also interesting, sometimes we mess up and people are, uh, the, the feedback from people that cast doubt on our company, it's something that is sometimes difficult to deal with. And I also think about doubt that uh, happens in courtrooms when somebody is guilty. I like watching crime documentaries or listening to them. And uh, when the prosecution comes up with a case, I'm like, oh, this guy is so guilty. And then the defense comes and they cast doubt on everything. I'm like, oh, I'm not so sure. And they want to try to make sure that the accused is not convicted beyond a reasonable doubt. So not all doubt is the same. It can come from different places. And what are the, what's the doubt that we're going to look at here? Is it doubting that God exists? Or is it doubting that we're saved? That we doubt our salvation? So, do you think that everybody doubts from time to time? Just uh, as I had with the kangaroos, some people um, might go through those times of doubt that God exists, but I think inside of the church, I think the doubt would be more often referred to doubting our salvation. Maybe we, some of us come from a secular background where we didn't believe in God at all when we grew up. I grew up in a Christian home. For me, it was uh, a given. It's something I didn't really think about. God just existed. And sometimes I looked at people that came from a secular background and got to know God and how dramatic that was or what a massive change in life that was. And I was somewhat jealous of it because I wanted to have that radical change. Maybe because I'm a little bit of a radical person, I don't know. So how does somebody get to understand that there is a God? What, what do you tell somebody that is doubting that? Romans 1 says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. I love this, so what it means is that in those moments you can look at nature, you can stand outside and look at the trees, animals, I myself am always impressed with sunsets when I look at those or when it's a dark or a night when you see lots of stars and the moon, you look at them, 
Um, I try to make a point of remembering that this was created by God and how massive it is and amazing and that it can only be because somebody created it, not an accident. And there's more than just seeing evidence of God. We can even communicate with him. We can pray to him and we can hear from him through his word. Have you ever had it that you were in church and uh, the pastor was speaking directly to you? Maybe you had some prayers, something that was going on in your life. And how, how is it that the pastor spoke to you directly? You think that was a coincidence? Or was that evidence of God working in your life? I saw a video once of a guy, he was at the dentist. It was a scripted video, and I do not understand why this conversation happened between a dentist and his patient, because in general, I don't like to talk to my dentist. I lit her with my mouth wide open. Um, but the dentist was having uh, said, I don't believe in God. And his patient said, well, I don't believe in dentists. And uh, the dentist says, oh, that's, that's dumb. I'm right here. You can see me. You can talk to me. I'm talking back to you. And the patient said, exactly. It's the exact same with my God. I can communicate with him. I see him through what he has done. So we can see clearly that God exists and we need to have a backup when somebody asks us these questions of how do we believe this? What about doubting our salvation? Is that something that we can doubt? Remember that this chapter was written to believers. So the doubt that I'm talking about there is people that have confessed that Jesus is their Lord. So as a believer, do you ever doubt your salvation? I think it happens to all believers. Probably more often, as I mentioned earlier, than doubting that God exists and that might be a given to you. So there's countless situations where doubt can creep in. Uh, Satan will use whatever he can to make that happen for you, for you to doubt. And you think, uh, and what exactly are you doubting when you doubt your salvation? Is it if Jesus died for you? Or that his blood was enough? That maybe you're too sinful? The Bible is clear that we have to have faith without doubting. 1 Timothy 6 says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So if we don't have faith, we're unstable. The first Spiritus talks about perseverance. And the Bible ta- t- tells us that we must throw off everything that hinders us to get to Jesus. Everything that stands in the way. Get rid of everything that stands in the way of running the race. To persevere. So that means that in times when we don't feel like it, we still read our Bible. And at times when we don't have time, we still set aside time to pray. And times when we don't have patience to deal with somebody that might be falling away from God, from Jesus, that he spent the time with that person and talk to them and bring them back, point that person to him. So second, so when we doubt, it happens to all of us. I think especially in the last couple of years, we doubt a lot more than in the past with all the fake news that has been spreading around. Um, we doubt just about everything that we see everywhere and you know what people say, so many different opinions. And we can see in the Bible that even the great believers doubted, the disciples doubted. When the 11 disciples saw Jesus after the resurrection, Matthew tells us they worshiped him, but some doubted. 
Do you think if you had been one of Jesus' disciples that you would have doubted at all? Or when you read the Bible, it's like, well, you know, that's just them. I would have believed, of course. We have to understand what the doubts are. And if we, have, we, have, and if we experience them ourselves. You know what the scariest doubt is for me? It's when somebody doesn't doubt their salvation at all, ever. It's because they prayed a short prayer and they, their life didn't change at all and somebody told them, now you're saved. And there's nothing different. I'm not recommending that you should doubt from time to time because in the end of the day, it is a sin. But we need to examine ourselves by reading God's word. What does it do to you when you read this in the Bible? It's in Matthew 22. This is the scariest verse in the Bible to me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Why did Jesus say that? He said it so that we can continue to examine ourselves. And we can see that even Christians um, should examine ourselves. And not say things like, well, I know where I'm going to go and I die, so, and have an excuse for the way that you live. So I hope and pray that your hope in Christ and your salvation is solid and that your faith is strong and that you don't doubt, but that you do examine yourselves. Do you think that you can doubt if you live really close to God's word? If you read your Bible every day, several times a day, pray? I think it's still possible, but it'd be a lot less. I often try to ask people um, that are believers if they are reading their Bible, and it is amazing how many people say, yeah, when I have time, a couple times a week. Let's look at some examples in the Bible of some of the great uh, believers that doubted. So there's three that we're gonna look at. John the Baptist. So John the Baptist sent his disciples to Jesus to ask if he was the one. So he would have been sitting in prison at that time. That's why he didn't come himself. It's very interesting to me that uh, he would have known Jesus from a very young age. I mean, uh, he leaped in the womb and Mary came to visit uh, them at, um, before Jesus was born. So when they were cousins, um, he would have certainly known about Jesus if they lived apart. Jesus would have been a very special child, of course, that people would have known about. But he sent people and said, are you the one to come, who is to come or shall we look for another? So we can't really be sure what he knew exactly about Jesus, how close he lived to him. Most definitely would have known about him. And what's even more astonishing, really, if you think about it is at one point he baptized Jesus. He was standing, he saw Jesus coming and he said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he recognized him and he saw the spirit descend on him and he's still having these doubts. How is that possible? Is it maybe because he was sitting in prison? Why didn't Jesus come to free him when he was sitting in prison? He was doing all these miracles, and why is he still sitting in prison? It's probably a sermon all on its own in that. He would have probably had doubts like, was he really a prophet, not a false one? 
And was this Jesus really the Messiah? I mean, that's why he sent the message, right? He wanted to know, sent that message. And if Jesus was the Messiah, why wasn't he being released from prison? And that's why I asked the question. And what's Jesus' response? It is loving and caring. And he's quoting prophecies from Isaiah. He says, tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So, and then when he sent John's disciples back to him, he says that no man born of woman has ever been greater than him. So this man, greater than anybody basically, has doubts. So even the greatest and the strongest of saints have moments of darkness and loneliness and doubt. Oh, I also see Peter. So Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, he would have seen a lot of the miracles that Jesus did. And he loved Jesus so much that when Jesus came walking to him on the water, he wanted to get out and get to Jesus. And it's when he got out and he realized that what he was doing, wherever he was going, that's when doubt crept in. He wanted to get to Jesus. He wanted to get to safety. And right away, Jesus stuck out his hand to him and uh, said, Peter said, Lord, save me. And Jesus said to him, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Imagine that when Jesus would have said that to him, and maybe you can imagine it for yourself in moments of doubt, that it would have, he would have been disappointed that Peter let go of his faith in him for that moment. And probably most famously is Thomas. You probably all have heard of the phrase doubting Thomas. So Jesus was... Uh, Thomas was not there when Jesus showed himself to the disciples. I don't know why he wasn't there. And uh, he was very strong on not believing that Jesus had been risen from the dead. He said, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. It's kind of interesting. What would have been going on in his head? He's seen all these miracles that Jesus did. He's seen even Jesus raising people from the dead. But he didn't believe that Jesus himself was raised from the dead. And this was over a period of about eight days that Thomas had these doubts. And we need what Thomas gets here. Again, the grace and kindness of the Lord Jesus. Jesus says to him, do not disbelieve, but believe. It's a command. We must believe. It's a command that was coupled with clear evidence because Jesus was right there. And in our case, it could be we must believe coupled with his spiritual presence. We have to have mercy. Let's look at having mercy. So we see how Jesus deals with doubt. What about you? Look around to those in your lives, family, friends, whatever they might be. There's two scenarios that's being talked about here. So in some, we have to have compassion. In others, we save with fear pulling them out of the fire. So having mercy and saving with fear. So Jude first starts talking about what we have to do with those in different manners, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, when we should comfort somebody or when we should rebuke somebody. Uh, Maybe it could be a friend that is flirting with false teachings and you see it and you should help. We have to continue to love them 
No matter how bad that person is or what they're doing, we have to continue being gracious and kind, not hate them or be an unconcerned for their salvation. We have to watch over them. We have to look, we have to have this outward look. We can't only be concerned about our own salvation. We have to be concerned about those people around us, their salvation as well. James 5 says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So we have to have mercy and compassion. So without doubt, somebody that follows Jesus will have doubts from time to time. And we see how Jesus deals with it. So how should we? Love, understanding, and humility. We need to reason with him. If you like me, you probably want to win an argument, but that's not what it is here. You're not trying to win an argument with him so they can see it your way. You want to see it the way that Jesus teaches. Have love and kindness and provide clear evidence. So we need to make a distinction between what somebody is doubting. Like, what are they doubting? If you're talking to a friend, you wouldn't let him go, would you? A stronger approach may be required. If you have a child and that child is running towards a fire, something dangerous, traffic, a cliff, would you be uh, very carefully go say, Johnny, don't go there, it's gonna be dangerous, or would you run after him and yank him away? And your child might think that you're mad at him because you know the way that forcefully took him away from something, but you did it out of love. Do the same thing if somebody is going in the wrong direction when they're not following Jesus. <clears throat> I had a, uh, a uh, somebody I did business with a few years ago that, uh, you know, business often turns into friendships with different people, sort of friendships. And we didn't do business together anymore, but I still see him from time to time somewhere and you know, talk for a bit or, or some emails back and forth. And then a few weeks ago, I found out that he had passed away. He was in his 40s. He had uh, gotten sick. And uh, it struck me hard. I thought about my relationship with him. I would never talked to him about Jesus, ever. Now, I wasn't saved myself at that time either, but still, it made me reflect on that. I knew what his lifestyle was. I never said anything about that. Not that his lifestyle would have changed him, but it was evident of what was going on inside of him. And that weighed heavily on me, and it makes me think, just about everybody that I come in contact with, and I do this poorly, I'm not saying I'm good at this, but uh, people we may work with, people, anybody we get in contact with, does that person know about Jesus? I think that normally I'm probably too careful talking about this. What is the fire that it's talking about here? It's talking about the flames of judgment. That's where he's yanking him away from. Pulling him out of the fire, it's not talking about taking somebody gently out. So compassion, but at the same time, we have to have a forceful approach sometimes too. You need to know the situation. If somebody is living a reckless life in sin, but they know better. And point them to the sweet, gra- sweet grace that only Jesus Christ offers. I heard a pastor say in a sermon some time ago that he had a friend who was an atheist. And, but this guy knew the Bible really well. And, uh, but he didn't believe. And he said to him, if you really do believe all this, if this is really all true, how much do you have to hate somebody to not point them to Jesus? And that really resonated with me. And I really, I think about that often. So can you just believe? So when you meet somebody that doesn't believe, can you just tell them, well, just believe? I mean, Jesus, didn't Jesus say to Thomas, don't be unbelieving, but believe? 
Remember that Jesus did back it up with clear evidence when he said that. Right then and there, he said, here I am, now you can believe. What do you do in a situation when somebody has a question for you that you can't answer? Maybe from the Bible. Somebody told me once he started reading the Bible and he got to Cain. And he was like, where did Cain get a wife from? Stopped reading his Bible right then and there because there was no answer for him. And I didn't have an answer for him either. And there's going to be other things that uh, we're going to deal with that we don't have answers to. But we do need to educate ourselves and read our Bibles. We shouldn't be shy from having these conversations. And sometimes we might have to say, I don't know. Peter says in 1 Peter 3 verse 15, be prepared to make a defense to anyone who calls you to account for the hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness and reverence. So the way that you contend with somebody is as important as the way you live. You can win an argument and lose with your life. So what do you say when somebody asks you if the Bible is real? A while back, I read a book from uh, Nabil Qureshi. He was a Muslim that grew up in a strong Muslim household. And uh, he, he met Christians at a college or a school. And uh, he, would, he would argue with them and say, you know, what you, what you guys believe is not correct. And the Christians would have shallow arguments back with him. They would say, yeah, well, we just believe. And well, the Bible is true. And Nothing that they would say to him would convince him that, uh, that it was true. And it was only a few years later that he was paired up with somebody in a dorm room, uh, a Christian guy that explained to him that how there's tens of thousands of manuscripts of the Bible that, that all point that is indeed true, that Jesus was alive and that the Bible is true. And it was through that that he turned to Christ. What is your backup? Do you have faith, that kind of faith in Jesus Christ? And are you merciful? And do you keep looking to Jesus that extends that mercy to you? And do you extend that to others? So doubt is a sin. We shouldn't doubt. But just like as if we would say we never sin, I don't think we also can say we never doubt. And we would deceive ourselves. It's a command to have faith. Hebrews 11 says, now faith is the insurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And Romans, faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. So spend time in God's word. Jesus knows your doubts and your sins, your struggles. And just like he, he hears it when you cry out to him, just like Peter did, Lord, save me. And he doesn't condemn you for your doubts if you put your trust in him. He's being patient. He is extending his grace to you mercifully. He's asking you to confess your sins to him and he will save you from them. Jesus knew that you would have these doubts before the world even began. He knew you. And because of it, he gave his son to live a perfect life here on earth, a life without sin and without doubt, but with pain and suffering and even death on the cross so that you can have eternal life with him, where there is no more sin and no more sadness and no more suffering and no more doubt. So our prayers aren't always answered at the speed that we desire. We can see that with Thomas and John and with Peter, but his grace is always sufficient for those that trust in him. So let's be merciful on those that doubt 
just as Jesus is merciful to us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for bringing us together this morning. Different people with different backgrounds, different struggles and different doubts. And we pray for that mercy that we need so desperately. That you will give that to us. We cannot do without it. And that we may also extend that mercy to those around us. That we may love them and care about them. Forgive us for those times that we didn't turn to you. We went our own way. And give us people in our lives that we can share our faith with. Please be with us for the rest of today. And this week, we ask this in your name, for Jesus' sake. Amen.